1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Traditionally, historically, until really very, very recently in time, politics has been male. You know, if not completely male, predominantly male. And we are still fighting really hard to get it to be equally male and female.
0: Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the show. You are with Catherine Murphy, the host and political editor of Guardian Australia. And this week in politics, for anyone who's been following it closely... Everybody will know what the main story was. Yes, Peter Murphy, who is with me, is already sighing in anticipation of how difficult this conversation is going to be. Of course, in this episode, we are going to focus on the terrible, disturbing, gut-wrenching allegations that have been raised by the former Liberal Party staffer, Brittany Higgins. That story tore through the place like a wildfire, really, this week, and a number of women Not exclusively women, obviously, but a number of women in the building have been, well, it's hard to describe exactly how how it is. Anyway, I'll introduce my guests first because <laughs> I know they want to get into it. I'm with two Labor MPs, Kate Thwaites, who's talking to us from Melbourne, and Peter Murphy, who is with me in the pod cave in Canberra. These guys, I've brought them on the show, one, because they're highly intelligent, good women, but two, they have a very useful experience to inform this conversation. Both of them have worked in political staffing before becoming parliamentarians themselves and both of them have experiences in other workplaces other than parliament to that helps them reflect on why the workplace of parliament house and political staffing is sort of quantifiably different to other workplaces and that explains some of the cultural problems that we've seen to start to manifest in the me too era so welcome ladies to the program
1: Thank you very much. Uh, this is <laughs> Peter speaking yes. for,
0: for those who don't recognise
1: my voice. Yes. very pleased to be able to chat about an issue I wish we didn't
0: have to chat about. Yeah, that's well expressed. Why don't I start with you, Kate? Why don't you tell people what it's like to be a political staffer?
2: Yeah, so I was a political staffer during the the Gillard years. I worked for Jenny Macklin who was a senior cabinet minister at that time. And that was my first and only foray into the world of political staffing for about 3 years. And it is a totally different work environment to any other work environment I have ever been in. And for your listeners, the other work environments I've been in, I was an ABC journalist for many years. I've worked at Oxfam, which is a not-for-profit. And before I came into parliament, I was in the Victorian public service. So I've worked across quite a lot of different workplaces, each with their own culture. And political staffing, as I said, is unique because it is so personal. The officers themselves, the minister's office, runs to a minister and it really runs as that minister wants it to run. And I was very fortunate. The minister I worked for was a wonderful woman who ran a wonderful office, but unlike other workplaces where you work as part of a really a broader ecosystem and there's links between different teams and different structures, and there's an HR department that brings some of it all together, there is none of that in political staffing. you are really working to one boss and that boss does obviously have political imperatives. So when I think about that in the context of what's happening at the moment and what we've heard in parliament this week, some of the problems that strike me are there is absolutely nowhere independent to go to get counselling, to get advice because your boss is directly caught up with a political imperative, and that's the place where you would normally go. There is no independent HR function that you can go and talk to. And the other thing that I think happens, because these officers are so personal, you know, we've all heard about unconscious bias. I think there's a lot of unconscious bias in the way officers are set up. So they're so personal and they rely on absolute trust. You have to, as a minister, really be able to trust your staff and trust that they've got your back. And that means naturally that I think ministers and and other MPs, when we go to hire, we look for people who we think we can trust. And that often means we look for people who look and sound like us. And in an environment where the majority of ministers and the majority of MPs are still men, that means a lot of the people being hired are still men and particularly a lot of the people hired in positions of power as well that, that shape that broader culture that sits around staffing and and shape the broader culture that sits around the parliament are men. And I think we've seen all of that come into play in the the past week.
0: And Peter, uh, like that's great context to open with, right? But in terms of being in staffing, as Kate says, it's very political. It's sort of like, I always think of political offices as as analogous to, to courts, as in not courts of law. I mean, like monarchies, but oh, like sort yes. of principalities, uh, <laughs> right? Because it's sort of like the the boss is the boss. Everything revolves around the needs and expectations yeah. of the boss in a way that's not, that is quite quantifiably different to other workplaces, but a little hard to explain. It's also a very intense life, isn't it? it so it why, really don't, is. yeah, yeah. why don't and, you give us your experiences? And I think, I mean,
1: will hardly surprise you to hear me say this, but I think everything Kate said was absolutely on the money. I think what I would add to that is that for most of us, the work we do is a huge part of our identity and our lives and a lot of us make very good friends with our work colleagues. When you're working in politics, it becomes almost all of your life Mm. um, because of the nature of the job. I was going to say why. Explain why. So when Parliament's sitting... It starts early in the morning work, you know. It starts anywhere between 6am and 7.30am for most people. Parliament finishes at about 8. So you're at work with your boss mm. all of that time. And then inevitably work goes on after hours, even if it's a social event, it's with the the people that you work with, both the bosses and the other staff. Most people have travelled to Canberra. Mm. Most people, therefore, don't have family and friends and sport or other obligations. So what are you going to do? You're all going to be together. And then you come back and you do it again. And nothing that happens while you're in Canberra for Parliament is not related in some way to your work, even if it feels like it's a social event. Mm. And I think that's a very different sort of workplace. And I... Like Kate, I've been a political staffer, not fortunate enough to be a political staffer when Labor's been in government, but I was a political staffer in 1999 when I was 25, so about the same age, I think, as Brittany Higgins. And then I had a career in the law and legal aid between that, and then I was a chief of staff to a shadow minister from 2017 until shortly before the last election. So I can see the difference between being very young Mm and coming back as a more mature person. Mm -hmm. And I think that the relationship that you have with your boss, who's either the minister or the shadow minister, can become almost an equal... Not It's never an equal relationship, but the older you are, the more background you've got, the more trust your boss has in you, the more empowered that relationship is. But when you're very young, it's not just your boss, the minister or the shadow minister that you're answering to. You're answering to the second-in-charge media advisor,
0: the yep. se- you know, the senior media advisor, the chief, yep, of, staff, chief of staff, and yep. then the boss. Yes. Um, and particu- all in the tiny office. And particularly if we sort of go back to Brittany Higgins's circumstances, she arrived as a new employee in Linda Reynolds' office, I think it was on the 2nd of March, uh, and the alleged assault is said to have occurred about three weeks later. So she's not only very, very young, she's also not part of the pack. That's right. And I can remember. I can remember being 25 years old and getting...
1: I said exactly the same words that I have heard that Brittany Higgins said. It was my dream job. I got to do justice policy to try to change the world for, for disadvantaged people and I was in the federal parliament working for these amazing senior politicians and felt simultaneously excited and very insecure. Mm. And often how do you cover that insecurity? You try to be part of the group. And I can see why Brittany Higgins was wanting to be part of everything. She did nothing wrong. It's up to the people around the new staff to help them feel like they're part of the group um, mm. in a way that is
0: safe and welcoming safe and welcoming Kate. Was, kate's, kate's dying to bust I out am. Here. go on girl um, um,
2: go on uh, do it i, I was going to say that you know one of the reflections you know again it feels like an endless reflection that we have that there's not enough women in politics and some mm. of the barriers that stop women from becoming mps are the same barriers that stop women often from becoming staffers particularly senior staffers because women who are at a you know point in their career where they're probably looking to have children those women are not able to work twenty four seven away from home on behalf mm. of a minister. So again, often what we see in the makeup of these offices is people who are pretty young and maybe are on their first or second right. jobs. Mm. You know, again, amazingly competent people because that's who are often attracted to these to these jobs. But in terms of again thinking about what makes up a broader culture and the fact that a you know a workplace that has a diverse group of people in it is likely to lead to a better culture. There are probably not many older women in senior positions walking the ministerial corridors as staffers because those women have had to decide that they need to be home raising their children.
0: Yes, exactly. But also, just one thing, I'll get both of you on this. It's sort of the other point of uniqueness. You've both sketched out why Parliament House is a unique environment to work in. But one thing, Peter went to it really in terms of the difference between her experience as a young woman yeah. as a staffer and an older woman as a staffer. It seems to me that political offices are quite unequal offices in the sense that every office has a hierarchy, right? Every every office does. You know, senior people, less senior people, people mid career people, whatever, right? I'm not suggesting that hierarchy is an, is a <laughs> is is an invention of politics, but it's sort of like. It goes back to that point you have both raised about There's not an independent HR department, for example, right? Like, political offices are not equal workplaces. There is the principle that the minister or the or the parliamentarian. You both now, you set the tone. You set the objectives. And your staff are there to serve your objectives, which is part of obviously in your in you guys' case the Labor Party's objectives, right? So it's sort of like th- this. It's it's hard to describe this, but it's almost like my impression of political staff is that you don't have independent identities by and large. You work; someone else sets the tone, and if there's a penalty shootout between the the, the needs of the principal and your needs, the principal wins. I think that's
1: broadly correct. I want to add something else to this, and this is part of the cultural but the systemic issues as well. I think that's why in part the Westminster system developed so that the politician or the minister is... Responsible for what happens in their office, mm, exactly. Um, be- there's
0: a reason for it. There's no, a no, reason. Yeah,
1: there's exactly. a reason for it. There's and I, it. my personal observation, and again, I, I've not worked as a staffer in a Labor federal government, so it's an observation coming back as an older woman and watching what's happening in, a, in the Liberal government is that if a culture develops partly where there's inequalities that are usually and often gender based, mm. and where there's a walking away from that Westminster system of responsibility and the capacity to say, well, I didn't do it, my staff did it. And I think a growing culture that I've seen in the last few years of perhaps empowering staff either overtly or implicitly to go off and do things Mm. but not tell the boss about it so the boss can have plausible deniability. (laughs) Um, Is it any surprise then that some of the cultural norms that we would expect in a workplace don't seem to exist yes and that's that's
2: on all of us as mps and and that's where you know i think now coming back into the building as both an employer and an mp it's made me realize how much of that is actually within our grasp to change and one of the things that i think has frustrated me since i you know have had the honour of being elected and coming back into parliament is there seems to be this entrenched view around the place that this is how things are in this place they're not good but actually it's just how it's got to be and that seems that view seems to operate on a number of levels around how parliament functions and things that the public are always telling us they do not agree with that would not happen in any other workplace there's a almost a collective shrug of the shoulders and a sense that that's the way things happen here now As we've just been describing, so much of this happens because of what we as MPs, as ministers or shadow ministers bring to the building. It is actually within all of our power to change this and we shouldn't be having weeks like this over and over again and we shouldn't be almost accepting that that's how things are because in in an environment where we set the tone, we can actually change that. Well, that's a brilliant
0: segue to... What needs to change? Yeah. So Peter, why don't you take that up? Kate's articulated some individual responsibility, which is important, right? We all we all and and me in my sphere, we all set the tone, right in our different spheres, but structurally, what needs to change? It needs to change at a lot of levels, and I just
1: preface it by saying it also shouldn't take one of the most heinous crimes that can, committed and the disempowerment of a woman on so many levels for all of a sudden this conversation to become more mainstream. Mm. And there are a lot of people, you know, there's myself and Kate, but to be fair, there's a lot of other parliamentarians who have been talking about fixing not just the culture but the, the systemic and the institutional problems for a long time. And we shouldn't we shouldn't have needed to get to this point for it to to really bubble to the surface. We need to change some of the procedures in Parliament to deal with the not just the behaviour, the machismo in question time, for example. Mm-hmm. Kate and I did a joint submission to the review of question time procedures and we made a lot of suggestions ranging from getting rid of Dorothy Dix's to also, for example, having rules of practice that say you answer the question, right? And it's not the opportunity to grandstand and attack the other side, be it the government or the opposition. You can do that in plenty of other forums at plenty of other mm-hmm. times. You answer the question you get asked. And as soon as somebody starts what we we saw in question time today, we see in almost every question time, you know, an answer that turns into a personalised attack on the questioner, they get shut down. I think reforms that on the face of it don't look like they would directly change the culture are also important, like four-year terms, mm-hmm. where you give governments time to actually govern and focus on governing rather than focusing on campaigning and attacking the other side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that the sort of thing that we've done in the Labor Party in terms of quotas, affirmative action to make sure that there are more women, make a difference, not because of some of the, you know, the old arguments of the suffragettes necessarily about we're softer and nicer. But we do do things a bit differently. We're not as likely to bring the machismo, but also because we represent more than half of the community. And I think, like Kate was saying about diversity, we need to bring in other people from other backgrounds. I mean, this this parliament does not represent the Mm. diversity of Australia. Mm. So there's a start. And independent processes and reviews, Mm. you know, independent commissions of corruption. I'll leave you some, Kate, I promise. (laughs) Um, You know, the the independent HR department idea that we've all been talking about this week and, you know, for a little bit before. And I think if we're going to go into an independent review like we are now because of the horrendous things we've been talking about this week then we should also have something akin to what the united kingdom is looking at or is just implemented which is a commission which can say this mp their behavior is so bad they should lose their position in the parliament and then the parliament has to vote on it like you know hold us to hold us to actual standards that other people in the community are held to mm.
2: Yeah, look, obviously I agree with all of that and that was a pretty comprehensive list. I think, um, (laughs) again, (laughs) we're done. Um, (laughs) If we just do all of that, then we're finished. But um, I think, again, going back to Parliament as a workplace, maybe one of the other points I'd make is, you know, politicians come from all walks of life and that is a good thing. But we come in and we start being employers. And for many people, actually, the type of work they've done before may have meant that they haven't managed staff before and they haven't actually been responsible for people's well-being in a in a workplace before and I know for me I was saying earlier that directly before I stood for election I was in the public service and and actually for me that was probably my first experience of a workplace where Managing people was taken really seriously and seen as a skill in its own right that you trained for and developed and worked on. You know, working in the media, that sort of... That is, um, for me, particularly, you, I was a do, journalist. It was um, what do you mean? I, I didn't have a management role at that time. What are you saying, yes, Kate? Okay. It's going really well at the I, moment. What are you saying, yes. Kate? What are you, I, saying? What are you I, saying? I should clarify, Catherine, and say that at that point I was a journalist <laughs> rather than a manager, so um, different. But um, <laughs> I think that there is a role actually for us as well as we look at as we look at independent structures for people to report to to think about actually what are the independent structures that support us as MPs ministers and employers you know actually should we be sent on a training course about these are the kind of things that absolutely are important to your staff that you should know about these are the avenues set up to support you on it and here's where you can get some more training in a confidential way because again yep this stuff is political and I can't say that people are going to want to open up their vulnerabilities on a some kind of bipartisan retreat but you know there are none of those structures really in place either for people who are coming in to manage an office and manage a staff and manage you know really serious issues like this you know potential crimes like this with no background and really very little processes in place around it so i think you know i was talking about as MPs and ministers and shadow ministers, we have the power to change some of this. I think part of that is we need to learn about what we don't know and actually see some of that as valuable skills. Even though they're not directly political skills, they're actually important to how this whole place operates.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. And I would even go further than that and say that as parliamentarians, because I like to think of myself as a parliamentarian Mm. rather than a politician. I know I'm both, but to me being a parliamentarian is very important and a leader in our leaders in our community we should be getting training in things like ethics and decision making because not only we are we employers who are looking after let's face it other people's lives we're also parliamentarians who are making huge decisions about the country's future Mm. this is the only profession that I've been in, and I've been in a a couple, just as Kate has, that doesn't have a continuing professional development obligation. So I was a solicitor and a barrister. I was at Legal Aid and at the Law Reform Commission over 15 years. There is a big problem, don't get me wrong, about sexual harassment and gender discrimination and bias in the legal profession, but you now have to, to maintain your practising certificate to be a lawyer, do 12 points of continuing professional development every year, which includes ethics practice management, as well as, you know, the practical skills of, of being an advocate or knowing the law. Now,
0: we should have to do that in this place. It's really interesting point, this sort of professional development point, and also just the the, the scary notion of the independent processes, right, in order to resolve staff issues and other, and other problems. Do you think that politics, for some strange reason, even though there are all these quaint traditions and rituals and And staffing is viewed correctly, in my view, by many people as an apprenticeship for service, right? I know that's a much maligned point of view, but I actually think it's pretty important if you've had some... Some experience of understanding how the parliament works, how yes. things happen, or surprise you to hear we agree with you on that. <laughs> no, well, it's it, but it, it's a point it that is. needs to be made. I agree because it's sort of like it goes to that point of professionalisation that does not exist in this profession that exists in other professions. In other professions, one is required to serve an apprenticeship, mm-hmm. and one is required to develop one's skills. And uh, and that, as as you both say, right, is a measurable thing, right? But in this profession, hmm. weirdly, none of those none of those rules apply. So why why do you think that is? Why do you reckon that is?
2: I think you've you've just identified some I've of it, done Catherine. It, both of you. There is, I think, as you've just said, there's a sense out there that professional politics is actually a bad thing. That people like Peter and I who have had some experience working as staff is actually that means we're not in the real world and we don't know how the the real world operates. Now we both obviously disagree with that and as we've both said we've had a number of different jobs as well but I think there is this sense that real politicians are people who you know have had jobs outside of of working in politics and I think like I was saying before we're at our best when we're a diverse parliament and where we actually value skills and they may be skills that you learnt as being a staffer or they may be skills that you learn once you're an MP because there's actually a as we were saying a A support system, a training system in place to help you develop those skills as an MP, as a minister, as a shadow minister. But I think, you know, the public narrative around that tends to be that that makes you insular and and stuck in the building. And I get that to a degree, why that's a narrative. I don't think that's where it leaves people, but I I can see why people might feel that. And I guess for me, that goes to a broader point around how I think our communities see parliament often, which is as something that's really totally remote to them, really different to their workplaces, and they really just can't fathom it. So one of the big experiences for me last year during the, you know, the height of the pandemic and Melbourne's lockdown was I did most of parliament remotely last year because I I was pregnant with my second child. I've got a toddler. There was just no way I could spend 14 days in quarantine in Canberra before each sitting period. And To get to that point for us as a parliament actually took us a long time to be able to set Mm up remote parliament to be able to think about how we might be flexible enough to make that work. And when I was having these conversations with people in my community about how, you know, we really want to get it done but it's not there yet, and they just looked at me in amazement because their workplaces had pivoted months ago because they had to. Mm. And I think this, again, comes to the point where... A lot of the processes that you're talking about, they're important, but we've also got to realise that our workplace is a workplace and those processes are important in a workplace sense as well. And how do we update them? How do we keep up to date with community expectations? You know, and a lot of this stuff this week, my frustration and my anger has been we should be leaders in the community. You know, we, we talk about the lack of respect for politics. Well, how can people look to us as leaders when this is what's happening in our workplace when they know that it would not have happened and played out this way in in most of their workplaces but we are laggards we're not leaders and we need to be leaders but in that laggard not leaders thing I'll just I'll just
0: ask you bluntly is it because it's it's a palace of bros the Parliament is it because it's basically a bunch of blokes with all due respect to all the men in my life whom I love, and all men listening to this podcast, are not necessarily socialised to be self-reflective, in the way that women are socialised to be constantly self-correcting, self-critical, and wondering what they're doing wrongly. There's a big why here, and I'm, and I'm, and I might have dumbfounded both of you, and I'm and I'm dumbfounded myself. Like why, why has, why why. Why has this
1: happened? So without, <laughs> without sounding like one of those trite politicians that says, well, it's a very complicated issue, I, I genuinely I think there's just there's many streams that have, that have come together to form an ocean, I don't know, but to get to this place, right? So yes, traditionally, historically, until really very, very recently in time, politics has been male, Yeah. You know, if not completely male, predominantly male. And we are still fighting really hard to get it to be equally male and female. Not all men behave badly and not all male politicians in this place don't get it. And, you know, we probably wouldn't have had some of the changes we've had in our party in terms of female representation if there hadn't been men being part of pushing for it. Mm. But you don't change a culture Overnight, and I think that's part of it. I think part of it also is, by definition, this is very insecure work. Yes, I I mean Kate and I might have the privilege of being parliamentarians for two and a half years, Mm. you know, or we might get to do it for twenty five years, and every two years you're faced with the the chance of losing your job. And we are here, and we're part of our party the Liberals are part of their party, the Nationals are part of their party, assumedly, because they think that the ideas they have and the principles they have and the ethics they have are what are the best to deliver for our country. Yeah. So it's a workplace, but it's also a place which, by definition, has to have some conflict. And I think mm. it's the way we conduct that conflict
0: that is part of the problem. Mm. So Because why? Because it diminishes the, the prospect of... Common values, common common norms, common institutional yes. responses. So, it is a bit
1: naive for anyone to think, why can't we all just come here and agree on the future oh, of Australia? No, 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 no I, I don't, don't think I don't you that. think that, but no, yes, no. but but on the other hand, I think that people would understand us having a different approach to the Liberal Party, and you know, even us holding the government to account and saying sports rorts are atrocious if it's always done in a way that is forceful and stands up for what you believe in and calls out things that are bad but doesn't resort to essentially the verbal equivalent of a dust-up, you know, Mm. behind the pub. Mm. And so I think that's part of how we get here. And I think the other part is I'm just not sure for whatever reason that many people have thought about the fact that because we want people from diverse backgrounds – We end up with people here who bring experiences which are terrific but have never read a statute book or, you know, because of the lives they've lived, have never turned their minds to what the processes of a parliament are or or how any of that works. And no, apart from a small induction when you first get elected, no one gives them training. Yes. And I'm a barrister who has had two separate stints of working in this place as a staffer and I still find it difficult at times, right? I'm still learning and I think what it must be like for someone who's, you know, representing a rural electorate because they're an amazing advocate for farmers Mm. and no one's given them that training. So, you know, they're two of the big streams I think that contribute to... You know, people not being given all of the capacity that they've got to be able to deliver.
2: And let's be blunt, it's a blokey place. Like it just, it just is. There is a majority <laughs> of men walking around. You know, look, look, I, you know, I think there were three women here who, as we've all been saying, have had quite a bit of experience in this building. It is a blokey place, and the behaviour, you know, again, as Peter said, we're not going to say all men are like this and all women are like this, but the behaviour is what you yep. would often associate with masculine tendencies and i have you know said through this and through other things that what i'm you know one of the things i'm really concerned about is the more this becomes a self-perpetuating cycle because the more it turns good sensible women who actually would be wonderful advocates for their communities in the parliament of standing for office because why would you put yourself forward, to come into an environment where it, it, you know, on the face of it, the people who get rewarded are the people who can shout the loudest, are the people who seem to be in it for their own advancement, and that is actually the behaviour that gets you noticed and tends to, on the surface of it, get you promoted I can see why you know many many sensible women think that is not for me and as we've just been saying that then becomes self-perpetuating cycle into the culture of the place and I think you know one of the reasons Peter and I are really concerned about this is it affects what governments can do so, you know, we are both Labor politicians because we're progressive and we think governments have big impacts on people's lives and they change people's lives. Now, governments cannot change people's lives if people do not trust government to do that. Exactly. And our behaviour in this place and how people view that behaviour is so linked to that trust and we can't keep squandering it.
1: And, and it shouldn't be you know, whoever whoever wins, wins, you know, a zero-sum game. I gave a speech in an MPI this week, sorry, matter of public importance for, again, those people who haven't been trained in mm. parliamentary processes, you know, which was about rorting of programs. But my, my premise was, we all get taught surely that, that the ends don't justify the means. And why is it that trust in politicians but more disturbingly trust in democracy you know has plummeted in this country and had green shoots last year during mm. covid mm. which appear sadly to be withering a bit you know it's dropped back down to just over half of people having any sort of trust in federal parliament apparently you know why is that mm. you know because too often it's been approached as it's actually just all about winning rather than about how we get there. And if we have a culture that is also about how we get there, Mm. then we can take people along for a journey for some really important and serious reforms that Australian politics hasn't been able to, to deal with for, you know decade or more.
0: It's a beautiful note to end on. I mean, the three of us could really rave on for about three hours. It's yeah. <laughs> no, anyway. definitely three, three hours. Yeah, we're it's already, an understatement. We're we're actually, Kate, three we hours. are actually <laughs> just warming up. But anyway, sadly, the time suggests we should just wind down. So thank you to both of you for your frankness and your thoughtfulness and for pulling some things together that I think may not be obvious for people who live outside politics, who consume politics moderately or lightly, you're drawing some things together that are genuinely linked. It all it all it is all linked and it all matters. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the executive producer of the show. Thank you to Hannah Izzard, who cuts the show for me. Thank you all for listening. We did an Ask Me Anything episode last week, which was a hoot, and we got lots of great feedback about that. So remember to keep in touch with us if you have particular things you want us to address on the podcast. Till we're back together next week, take care.